I wanted to have sugar all the time. Mm. And it was just the withdrawal of sugar because I drank for since I was 14, I started to drink. So when I when I stopped drinking, it was before I was 30. Right. Mm. So I had drank for so long that my body was just withdrawing. And, you know, I was walking around with Jolly Ranchers for my first year just like yeah. sucking them back. And, you know, I had a friend, I was like telling her, cause I had different mixed messages about whether you should have it or not. And a friend of mine said, listen, it's not getting you drunk. Mm-hmm. You're fine. You know, and it was just a key moment. Cause I'm like, I held on to those Jolly Ranchers and those that helped me to recover. Right. And, and those tools. Oh my goodness. That That's tool. a really good way to, to think of it. Yeah. Cause a lot of people, they, First of all, they want to skip steps in recovery. They think, okay, I've stopped binging and purging their ship or I should be completely fine. And it's like, mm-hmm. no, you kind of have to become the person who maybe wants to binge and purge, but doesn't binge and purge and they're uncomfortable with it. And they have to cope with that and slowly but surely get through it. And your first stage wasn't, wasn't, I'm not an alcoholic anymore. I'm completely recovered. It was, I'm recovering. And the thing that's my bridge thing that is getting me through it is these Jolly Ranchers. Welcome to the Binge Breakers podcast. I'm Jacqueline. I am here to teach you how I overcame bulimia and my binge eating disorder and how you can too. Through simple steps of mind management, repairing your relationship with yourself, understanding your habits, and intuitive eating. Disclaimer, this recording is not intended to be utilized as medical advice or a medical diagnosis. If you think you're in need of medical attention or treatment, please seek it immediately. This recording will also contain sensitive subjects such as binging and purging, weight, and depression. Please listen at your own discretion and do what you think is best for you. Hi, everyone. Welcome to the podcast. Today, I have uh, a special guest. She was on the podcast a while ago. She's a client of mine. And more importantly, she is also a coach for a life and recovery coach. She has experience with alcohol recovery. And she worked with me on bulimia recovery. But I was literally just telling her how I think she's such a brilliant mind. And that's why I wanted to bring her on the podcast. But please welcome Jasmine Murdumbe. Thank you for being here, Jasmine. Thank you, Jacqueline. So excited to be here. Yeah. Um, so for everyone who doesn't know who you are, maybe they haven't listened to the previous um, podcast with you that was on, on my podcast. Can you just give it a brief overview of who you are, what you do? Yeah. So my name is Jazz. I'm a life and recovery coach and I coach clients to stop beating themselves after a drinking binge and to look at their last drinking episode as a tool to their recovery So together we work on um, looking at like the belief systems about themselves, about drinking. And then we work together on their triggers, their cravings, uh, what happened leading up to them drinking and also the afterwards of self-care after they did binge because we can really beat ourselves up after a binge. And it's like, no, how do we learn from this and move forward from this? Mm -hmm. Yeah. So many parallels between bulimia recovery and what we work yes. on there and what you, you work on yourself. Yes. Mm-hmm. Um, so, and that's why I wanted to bring, when you guys listening out there, I wanted to bring Jazz on because not only does she have experience with bulimia, but then also with alcohol, obviously. And I know so many people that struggle with bulimia also struggle with alcohol. Mm-hmm. I myself sometimes find that I over crave alcohol. So it's something that I, I have to keep 
tabs on. Otherwise it may, it could turn into like the binging of alcohol or something like that. So that's, I'm excited to talk to you about that. But first you just went to Ecuador. Please tell us what that journey was like. (laughs) Well, my journey started before I went to Ecuador because, um, yes, (laughs) yeah. I knew um, I had to prepare myself mentally to go there because of the food that's there. The last time I went to Ecuador, um, we're always consistently eating. There's, uh, I find if you go to people's homes there, they offer you like food, whether it's like a full meal or snack. So if you're traveling like to other countries, it's, and if you're visiting family, it's like, you're always eating right? Mm-hmm. So I had to uh, prepare myself uh, with just what also I was going to tell people if I did feel like I didn't want to eat, or if I needed to set those boundaries, I prepared myself like how I would do that. And uh, so I, that preparation came before I came, I went because I was thinking like, in my head, I was like, Oh, my God, there's gonna be like empanadas anywhere, everywhere, right? And it's a classic as, empanada. Yeah. <laughs> So, and as you know, like part of my journey in recovery with you, working with you was I couldn't just have that one empanada and Mm -hmm. just foreseeing like going to Ecuador was like, oh my God, how am I going to deal with this? Um, And so, yeah, so I prepared myself to go. And when I was there, I, I made the decision that I was going to eat until I was full. Right. Mm. And, um, And I did do that while I was in Ecuador, but what started to happen was I started to, I wanted to eat more than like, than what I was like full physically. Like my mind just was like, no, you could have more. And like the old behavior started to come back and uh, the old thinking behaviors is what I mean. Mm -hmm. And when I was there, I just, I did what we worked on together was like, I started to journal my uh, journal and also to, I started to ask myself, are you really like hungry? Do you really want to eat this? So, and I paused while I was there. Hmm. Good for you for actually mm-hmm. putting those things into practice. Were they effective? Yes. Did it, what did you learn from that? So they were effective and I had to work on it. Like in the beginning, like when I started to feel like that, I had to work on it. Like, each meal, right? Because it's what happened when I was there was like, it becomes like this part of this kind of like euphoria feeling, right? Mm -hmm. It's like, oh, there's food everywhere. Like you get excited. And that's where in the past I would get caught up in that excitement. Like I wanted to be part of that excitement. And I really had to self my talk, self talk myself into like, just, okay, that excitement is different to how you're gonna feel while you're eating, right? Mm-hmm. And, and separating the two because just, it was that it's like, it's really tricky sometimes our head just says, no, you wanna feel good by eating. Right. Like, this is gonna make you feel good. Yeah, I'm kind of curious because I know people are listening. I think I know the answer, but I wanna mm-hmm. hear what you think. Because mm-hmm. people say, well, you're on vacation. You're in Ecuador. It was a really big journey for you why not just overindulge or why not just eat and follow those desires? Mm-hmm. Um, Cause that is fun. Why, mm-hmm. why were you using those tools? Why was it important for you not to do that? I, I use these, those tools because I started to, as we worked together, started to understand taking responsibility for what I was eating. Mm-hmm. Right. And if I was 
which I did, I did tell myself, okay, you're going to overindulge, but that's also part of taking responsibility is making that decision. Like I'm going to overindulge today, Mm. which I didn't know that until there was one time when we worked together, we were talking, I always think about this, the grapes. (laughs) Yeah. Mm -hmm. Or I overindulged on uh, grapes and I, I, we were talking and you, you mentioned, you talked to me about taking responsibility for eating the grapes where I saw it is, well, grapes are healthy, so it's okay. Right. Mm. So, and I made that connection at that time was I can hide taking responsibility if it's not so bad, the food. Mm, Right. Well, well, continue. Were you going to say something? I know. Go ahead. Okay. I was just thinking because for people listening, they'd be like, well, why would you want to take responsibility for that food? What's the big deal? Mm-hmm. I think what you're getting at is, you know, it's not wrong to overindulge. Like mm-hmm. you can do that and it's totally fine to enjoy food. But sometimes when you're, you're thinking it's at the mercy of your urges or it's mm-hmm. not a, it's almost as if, you know, you're using your own self to make those choices instead of your urge brain making those choices. And even if you are overindulging, doing it intentionally makes you feel a whole lot, guilt, whole lot less guilty mm-hmm. and more satisfied. And it's honestly more enjoyable when you're like, I'm doing this. This is what we're going to do versus yes. kind of like backdoor <laughs> overindulging where it's like you're pretending like it's not you that's doing that. Yes. And, and that's when, like, there was a point in time where I was in Ecuador, where I asked myself, like, why can I overeat, like, or overindulge? It doesn't mean I'm going to go back in or relapse. Right. Mm. And it was that point where I did say, okay, you're going to overindulge and it's going to be okay. Right. And I did overindulge for a few days and I started to eat. I started to feel like I was gaining weight. Right. And then for like with myself, it's like that panic did sink in like, oh, my God, I'm overeating. And this is what happens of why I used to binge and purge was that panic that I'm going to gain weight. Mm -hmm. Right. And then I had this moment of clarity where I was journaling. And when I wrote down, because I was starting to I started to feel like those old, like that when I was a kid, right? And when I was a kid, I was overweight. So I got bullied and teased. So I didn't, so for me, it was like, oh my God, it's going to happen again. People are going to start to bully and and tease me or I'm going to change. I'm going to be different. And I really had to sit with that because at that point I realized, you know what? I'm not different. If I gain weight during my vacation, it's not going to change who I am as a person. No. Which, which I thought that before, like before we started working together, I thought if I gain weight, it's going to make me look physically different, which means internally I'm going to be different. Mm-hmm. Yeah. And yeah. And I was like, no, it doesn't, it, it'll change me if I, I like take that thought and go with it, then it'll change me as a person. And I realized at that point, that's what I've been doing. Every time I gained weight, it was like that self-fulfilling prophecy. It's like, I'm different. People are looking at me like, I like, and just not taking care of myself. 
right? Mm-hmm. And and I said, no, I'm gonna I'm gonna make it mean what it means. Yeah. Right. And, and I'm gonna simply, overindulge. Mm-hmm. Right. Simply overindulging, gaining weight, that sort of stuff. No, that's yeah. that's really important, especially with what you went through when people have been overweight and then have bad experiences when they're overweight, they think it's directly a correlation of being overweight and it's not necessarily the case. And then you think as an adult, even though you're able to process things, you're a lot smarter than when you were a child, those things still carry with you. And you think the same thing is going to happen over again. Um, You kind of taking initiative and observing those thoughts that were just kind of like old behaviors, old patterns and realizing that's not necessarily true. I can think differently. It's brilliant. Yes. And, and also if part of taking that responsibility, what we talked earlier was the reality is if I keep overindulging in like empanadas and fried food, I will gain weight. Yeah. And that was like a, it's kind of like a harsh reality. And I thought about you with the grapes right? Because it's like, I have to take that responsibility myself. I can't live in like that fantasy that, oh, I'm going to stay like the same weight by eating this. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Yeah. You're not necessarily, and for people listening, you know, this is weight loss is not necessarily, or weight maintenance is not necessarily mm-hmm. something you should always be worrying about in recovery. Mm-hmm. But with food, there is the reality that, yeah, if you, if you overconsume, eventually you will gain weight no matter what you're eating. And that's not necessarily bad or good or good Mm. just is what it is. And I think understanding that and accepting the reality of the situation instead of denying it is far better for your, yourself moving forward. Yes. Cause denying it and scaring myself was led me back, I mean, led me back into binging and purging, where mm-hmm. this was like, no, this is what's going to happen. It's like a fact. It's, and I had to look at it from like a science point of view, like the calorie intake and what our body, like what we can take. And it wasn't a way to scare me or to shame me. It was just that taking accountability. Yeah. Yeah. That's key. Mm-hmm. And then also, once you kind of accept the reality of how it works, then you work towards let's eat in a way that serves us, which means sometimes overindulging purposefully and sometimes just eating in a way that's not only going to feel good and be healthy, but something that tastes good. So we're not saying from this, like never overindulge ever again or Mm, overconsume. That's just not realistic, but it is, you know, understanding that you have responsibility for what you eat. And that's a really good thing. Mm -hmm. Yes. So it sounds like an enlightening time. Um, (laughs) I wanted to ask you kind of as a segue from, from the topic of Ecuador, but completely unrelated. um, Can you tell us a little bit about your experience with alcohol? Like what led you to become alcohol recovery coach? Okay. Also, I wanted to add um, to that point, which is also a point to what we were just talking about, which Mm. is also part of my recovery for alcohol, is that um, I had to also tell myself that if like part of my recovery is um, just overindulging and eating like what I wanted and not restrict myself, and if that meant gaining the weight, that's okay too, right? Mm. It's it that's part of like self love like for myself and taking care of myself in those moments of like, 
um, or I'm overeating. And, and there were some moments where I just wanted to just overeat and indulge. But those are the moments where I was taking care of myself as well. And if that meant gaining weight, that was that that's part of my recovery. Yeah. Thank yeah. you for saying that. Mm-hmm. Yes. I, and go ahead. No, go ahead. I was gonna say I just I certainly agree. I think with um people view gaining weight and any weight fluctuation as a horrible, horrendous thing. And I think that there's definitely a necessity to it, especially when it comes to you learning how to eat again, how to eat without binging or purging, how to eat trusting yourself versus trusting external measures. Yes. And and what I thought about the correlation was when I was first year into my recovery from drinking, I wanted to have sugar all the time. Mm. And it was just a withdrawal of sugar because I drank for since I was 14, I started to drink. So when I, when I stopped drinking, it was before I was 30. Right. Mm. So I had drank for so long that my body was just withdrawing. And, you know, I was walking around with Jolly Ranchers for my first year, just like yeah. sucking them back. And, you know, I had a friend, I was like telling her, cause I had different mixed messages about whether you should have it or not. And a friend of mine said, listen, it's not getting you drunk. Mm-hmm. You're fine. You know, and it was just a key moment. Cause I'm like, I held on to those Jolly Ranchers and those that helped me to recover. Right. And, and those tools. Oh my goodness. That That's tool. a really good way to, to think of it. Yeah. Cause a lot of people, they, First of all, they want to skip steps in recovery. They think, okay, I've stopped binging and purging their ship or I should be completely fine. And it's like, mm-hmm. no, you kind of have to become the person who maybe wants to binge and purge, but doesn't binge and purge and they're uncomfortable with it. And they have to cope with that and slowly but surely get through it. And your first stage wasn't, wasn't, I'm not an alcoholic anymore. I'm completely recovered. It was, I'm recovering. And the thing that's my bridge thing that is getting me through it is these Jolly Ranchers. Not, it wasn't only the Jolly Ranchers, obviously, but they were right. a tool that you use. And eventually, obviously, you probably don't walk around with Jolly Ranchers all the time anymore, no. <laughs> but they helped you at that time. Yes. Yeah. And they didn't get me drunk. <laughs> they they yeah. were something that I needed at that time. And then when it was time to let it go, I let it go. Ah, yeah. Yeah. Cause a lot of people they're, they're like, um, it's commonly with overeating the next stage and believe me, recover usually after you stop binging and purging is then you are overeating. You're emotional eating a lot. So you aren't quite doing the huge thing, but it is emotional eating and people get so upset with themselves. They're like, yeah, but this is not good. And it's like, Hey, but you're not binging and purging and you're in the yeah. next phase. And eventually you'll let that go too. Yeah. Yes. Mm-hmm. That's a really brilliant. Thank you for saying that. So tell me, like, you don't, I know you don't need to give like a full story of, you already kind of expressed, you know, how long you struggled with alcohol, but I guess maybe a good question is why did you want to recover from alcohol, alcoholism? Oh yeah. That's a loaded question. Um, you know, and, and as you know, recovery, it, it happens, um, in stages, same thing with drinking right like it started off I was 14 and you know I was doing what everybody was doing drinking uh, partying Um, there was something about drinking that I just as soon as I had my first drink I was like oh yeah I love this it was just Mm -hmm. something like what food did it just provided me comfort safety Um, I felt great when I was in it 
Mm -hmm. But over time, it just started to work against me in the sense where I couldn't get enough of it. And when I had it, I was just sick or it was just toxic into my life. And I didn't see it even then until I had to, I had to go to, through many years of just um, painful, like drinking binges, um, you know, just exposing my family to, to my drinking, um, just really beating myself up. And uh, it got to a point where it didn't matter how much I drank, if it was like during the week, in the weekends, I just started to feel horrible. So mm. what we say is like, just drinking just doesn't work anymore. And then yeah. the way I can put it is like, I had a great cloud that was following me around when I was 14. When I drank, it disappeared. And over time towards the end of my drinking, that great cloud came like a storm and it just wouldn't go away. It didn't matter how much I drank, how often I drank. I just felt bad every day. Interesting. Yeah. Mm-hmm. I, I've heard a similar thing too. And I've also heard people say that um, the drinking would, it got to the point where the drinking used to make them feel good, but then the drinking made them feel just normal instead. And their normal wasn't even that good in the first place. Yes. Yes, absolutely. Yeah. So then what, um, cause I know you went through a lot of, obviously you said bad experiences with the alcohol recovery, but mm-hmm. what were some of your first steps in recovery? Like getting, deleting alcohol from your life basically. So one of the first steps that, uh, that happened with me was the awareness right? The awareness of, okay, something's not right. Like my life is just falling apart. And sometimes we can see it. And then like, for me, I saw it, but I didn't know how to deal with my life. So when drinking becomes your norm, like you said, um, it becomes so normal and how you deal with life becomes so normal It's like, you can't really see what's happening or you don't want to see it because the alcohol is covering it, right? So, but there's moments where there's that awareness like, okay, I'm really hurting myself or I'm hurting others, right? And if you don't see it, you feel it, Mm -hmm. right? And for me, what happened was I just really started to see it. It became stronger where that dark cloud was like, there was lightning coming out of it, right? And uh, I saw it. As, yeah. <laughs> and I saw it at that moment. So um, I'm going to say awareness. And at that time, I didn't see it, mm-hmm. right? When you're in it, you can't see it. You just feel a lot of pain. Yeah. How do you deal mm-hmm. with the pain um, that you're not no longer numbing out of, from alcohol? So how do I deal with that? Yeah. So like you give up alcohol and mm-hmm. I would assume that it's even like there's the withdrawal, but also there's the mess that you were kind of numbing out with alcohol. Right. Maybe, maybe that wasn't the case. Maybe you weren't numbing mm-hmm. anything out with alcohol, but I'm assuming that you were. Oh yeah. Yeah. <laughs> okay. um, sorry. Let's start over. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. Um, so um, how I dealt with like the, the, 
like numbing out is like for me I had to do it like one day at a time like I had people that um, helped me that were in that same situation because what before I actually stopped drinking was I would be with other people that didn't understand what I was going through and um, so they were there to help me but they didn't know how to help me because professionally they couldn't help me right mm -hmm. so I started to see an addiction counselor that was like a third party that didn't like she didn't know me she had the tools and she started we started to work together so I could see some of like some of the things I wasn't seeing mm -hmm. so and then she gave me the tools like about like just talking to other people that understood what you were going through which community for me is huge um, whether it's like in my recovery with bulimia or other communities when people get you, it's like this powerful thing. And sometimes people don't even have to say things. It's just, you know, that there's other people that are in that same struggle. Yeah, absolutely. Mm -hmm. And I think something, you know, in, in my community that you're part of, we, that's one of the powerful aspects is people feel like, oh my God, I'm such a failure. I'm so crazy, whatever. And then you go on there. And even if you don't post anything, reading other people's stuff and seeing that, oh, I'm not alone. And they're going through yeah. the same things. And even seeing this is how they got out of it, that does wonders for your um, your morale and your recovery. Yes. So basically you're saying how you dealt with first, like your first step of getting out of alcohol was finding someone that was a third party that wasn't, you know, they were, they didn't know you, but they had the tools, they were approaching it professionally. And then also finding a community of people going on the same journey as you. Yes. And also using like, um, just using, I don't want to say using, but um, asking for help. Like, like, and asking for help doesn't mean sometimes like, can you help me? You know, sometimes we, we get so caught up in like, how do we ask for help? Sometimes it's just like, you know, going for a coffee with someone. Um, talking to them, seeing how they're doing, like starting that dialogue of even just like, you know, how in our community, we all um, will, uh, someone will post something, right? All that helps, like we all help each other that way is by showing up for each other. Mm -hmm. Yeah. Yeah. And I like that you said going for a coffee with someone, someone in Miami here that I got to know, she reached out because of stuff I was posting on my social media. And she was like, Hey, let's grab a coffee. You want to talk? And it was, she just wanted advice on things that were going on in her life, but it was very casual. It was very enlightening for me and for her. And it wasn't this high pressure situation. So sometimes mm -hmm. if you think you're going through some, something, just texting someone and saying, Hey, can we talk? can be, and they don't have to say anything crazy, but just getting it out of, off your chest and into someone else's ears instead of your own can be helpful. Yes. Yeah, definitely. Yeah. So if you, if you gave, um, sorry, I'm asking for so much detail, but if you no. had to give someone like a step-by-step -step of, um, you know, how to approach alcohol recovery from a practical standpoint, mm -hmm. what would you say? So the first thing I would say is, go easy with yourself. That's the first thing, because when we're drinking, um, the first, uh, from my experience, the first thing I want to do is beat myself up. 
that was just constant is just beat myself up. Mm. So if you're going to go in drinking, have some tools where like, have a journal, right? Have a journal that's going to, uh, that where you can write like, what is causing me to drink? Like, mm -hmm. let's look at what triggered you to drink. What are the cravings? Like, what are you doing when you're drinking? Because sometimes we're drinking automatically. We think we're drinking automatically, right? But there's actually, if we take that time to slow down, mm -hmm. it's actually kind of, I think about it like, you know, in TV where you slow, like you play it on slow and you'll see that there is like keys to why you're drinking, mm -hmm. right? Yeah. So like go in with preparation. Um, if you're, if you're, if you're drinking, like, let's say someone decides to not drink this weekend, like make a decision, like, you know what, this weekend, I'm not going to drink. And I would even say just for today, just for this hour and just say, okay, just for now, I'm not going to drink mm -hmm. and just pause it. It's very parallel to our bulimia recovery, like pause it and just say, I'm not going to drink for right now. Mm -hmm. and see yeah. how long you can do it for well I like I like that you first were saying over the weekend but then even invite you for right now because I think sometimes it's so easy for us to make decisions in the future like oh we'll do it tomorrow we'll do it then and of course you do need to say that sometimes it's practical like I make decisions yeah. for me later in the week all the time but with addictions like that, it's very common for us to say, we'll do it tomorrow. So it can be powerful mm -hmm. while you're listening to this podcast. If you're struggling with alcohol to make the decision for this hour, you're not going to drink or for today, you're not going to drink because that invites all of the feelings that you'll have that are opposed to doing what we're asking you to do. And it's like, that's, yes. that's where the work is too. Cause when you do that, you have to then figure, you have to then feel the feelings of no, but I want to drink, but I need a drink, but it's going to be painful, but it's going to be hard. And that will, yeah. but doing that work and feeling those feelings will help you through to the other side. Yes. Yes. And also ask yourself while you're in it, like, what else can I do after you've sat with un that uncomfortableness? Cause I think that I feel, sorry, I know <laughs> You're fine. <laughs> okay. Uh, I, I know you can delete it. <laughs> um, we have to sit with that uncomfortableness to get better. Mm -hmm. And it, I didn't know at that time, like I didn't know even when we were working together, how key it is to sit with that uncomfortableness, mm -hmm. not going into binging, right. With, with alcohol, with food, because my initial reaction is, I just want to feel better. Right. And I, yep. yeah. And I want to feel better right now. Yeah. It's like this urgency situation and it clouds your vision and thinks that you have to feel better that for some, like there are literally times where even though I knew that wasn't possible logically, it's like, I felt like I'm going to die if I don't figure out what, how I can make this feeling go away. But then if someone, like if a third party were to come in and just like strap you down and be like, you're not going to get to binge, you're not going to get to drink. Like, here you go, sit here. And you, you first freak out. You're like, no, I can't do it. And then 
you would start breathing and you'd start calming yourself down and you would eventually be okay. And then you wouldn't need to binge or have that alcohol. And that's why the pausing, like you said, for alcohol and for binges, uh, binge urges gives you the space to realize you're not going to die. You're going to be okay. And you just have to be in that discomfort while it passes. Yes. Mm -hmm. Then we always say like, you don't have to sit and stare at a wall all day. You can go and do something else as well, (laughs) even while you're uncomfortable. And it's amazing how uh, when you do stop, like when you stop for that moment and you do something else, how much time you actually have. Like Mm -hmm. I, when I first went into my recovery and I didn't drink, I was like, oh my God, I have a lot more time than I thought. (laughs) Yeah. Right? Because we use Mm -hmm. so much time into when am I going to drink, going to buy the drinks, hiding it, you know, having it prepared. Like I would have, um, places where I would hide my beers mm, yeah like strategically the pantry like the bathroom my living room like everywhere placed so I can just drink and no one knows mm, yeah that's that takes a lot of thinking and planning yes. and pre-planning mm. and then keeping that not just the pre-planning but then knowing it and keeping up the lie you know yeah whatever's going on like So I used to be a pretty habitual liar and something about it was that it, it just took up so much of my brain space to keep up all those like little, little webs of lies that were going on. And it just was a lot of mental effort. It was exhausting. So yeah, I can imagine after you give me alcohol, it's like, wow, it's a lot easier. (laughs) (laughs) Yeah. So, um, I guess we can wrap things up, but I think that's a really good example of you know, the process that you'd have to go through with alcohol recovery, it only, you know, scratched the surface, but for someone out there struggling with alcohol right now, or maybe they're, you know, they're like you, they're hiding beers around the house, or they just, maybe they aren't hiding beers, but the idea of going without a a nightly drink tonight is like something that they feel super resistant to. What would you say to them? I would say, talk to somebody that they trust because for part of my recovery was to talk to somebody that I trusted and say, you know what, I feel like there's something wrong because chances are if they're, they're feeling it inside and they're like, I'm hiding my beer and something feels wrong, Mm -hmm. then that's their sign for help within themselves. Mm -hmm. And like, listen to that voice, listen to the voice that's saying, oh, this could be wrong. Yeah. Right. And then, and it's not that it's wrong in a sense where it's you're bad. Cause sometimes I would like say, oh my God, this is so wrong. And then I would beat myself up. Right. Yeah. It's like, it's more of approach of like, okay, jazz, what is going on? Like you're hiding your beers, but you don't want to do it. Mm. So even in that thought, there is space for that, like, okay, I need to talk to somebody about it, right? And if they have, if they don't have somebody like in their family, uh, reach out to a friend. Um, I have, I'm on Instagram as well, that people can just reach out. I've had people reach out and just like telling me like their story or just like thanking me for what I posted and just get some information because even those steps, it breaks the pattern of 
taking that drink that they're hiding from from like the closet or or the couch is like bringing light to what's going on inside and having yeah. someone giving them that perspective yeah absolutely i think that also when you're going through that you think it's hard to visualize how you're even going to go get out of it if you are at the point where you feel like you are dependent on alcohol and mm-hmm. you are hiding things around the house and whatever it just seems like how am i even going to start but simply reaching out to someone, getting some sort of information, starting somewhere, anywhere will eventually lead you there. I think that we get, I can do this and other people, they get so caught up in what perfect ways they're going to do things. And there really is no perfect way. You just kind of have to like stumble. And along the way, like the wheels will come back on, (laughs) we'll kind of start putting things together. So I like that. Also, um, what you said about how it's not wrong. Like it's not that hiding beers around the house is really that morally or ethically wrong but it's mm-hmm. it's wrong because it feels like an issue to you and yeah. if it doesn't feel right then you deserve to do something more for yourself yes it's coming from a loving place yeah exactly because it you know especially when we struggle with any addiction um with eating disorder there's this thing that happens just that we just don't we feel a lot of shame mm-hmm. and that shame is so thick and it's to we're just chipping away at it and if that means loving ourselves you know writing sticky notes I wrote a sticky note here you got this just over my uh <laughs> my laptop just mm-hmm. reminding me to so I can chip away at it because that's what like life and recovery for me is just chipping away at it like you said it's not perfect like it's like it's sometimes you know we can get caught up in like it has to be a certain way or or um it has to be perfect or I have to recover this way because this person's recovering that way. Like all these noises in our head where part of, or most of my journey is learning about myself, you know, Mm -hmm. falling down, but how do I get back up? Am I going to get up by myself or am I going to get help, get the help of others to help me up? Right. And just like just ebbing and flowing in life. Getting the help of others is undoubtedly something that has changed my life over and over again. And the more I keep trying to do things only on my own, that's when I get stuck. And that's when I like don't grow as much. But once I start reaching out to other people again, that's generally when my life move, moves forward. And then I have to go through the same process again, where I'm like, oh, I'm isolating. I'm doing, trying to do everything on my own, own again. Let's reach out again. So it's just, it's funny that like, even in, I'm not addicted to anything, but I find that process in my life, in my own business, that sort of stuff. So it's always a relearning process of reaching out to people for help. Yes. Mm-hmm. Okay. Where can people find you? Okay. So I am on Instagram and I'm at life and recovery coach. And I also have a face group page and it's called uh, life and recovery. And I post uh, similar things from Instagram to Facebook and people can comment. I've had people message me and uh, yeah, they can find me there. Cool. And if people want to work with you, what's the best way to go about that? They can send me a message there on Instagram or Facebook. Yeah. And you offer one-on-one coaching right now? I do one-on-one coaching. Yes. And if you're in the Toronto area, I have a coffee with a coach. So we're meeting one-on-one. 
That's exciting. Yes. Yeah. yeah. I always meet with my clients virtually. I've had the opportunity to meet a few of them in person when they're in Miami, but otherwise it's all virtual. But it's always fun when you get to meet with people in person. Yes. Yeah. Very excited about it. It's mm-hmm. uh, something yeah. new that I'm doing. Yeah. Cool. All right. Well, thank you so much for being on the show, Jasmine. Or Jess. <laughs> you do prefer jazz okay. or Jasmine? I honestly, like, I, I used to love jazz, but I love the way people say Jasmine now. Okay, awesome. Because I said I introduced you as Jasmine, but then you said I'm Jazz, and I was like, have I been calling her the wrong name all this time? (laughs) I'm okay with both. Okay, cool. Well, thank you for being here, Jasmine. I really appreciate all your wisdom on this podcast, as always. Oh, thank you for having me, and I just want to thank you for you know always being that coach. You're still in the my head, and just helping me with all the tools that you have given me. Oh, thank you. All right. Well, and everyone listening, thank you for thank you for being there too. We'll let you guys go here. Bye.